Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. And welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Tactical Yanks podcast, episode 42. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, of course, with Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager TV. First of all, we want to apologize that this episode is a day later than usual. We had some attack, had some internet issues, Spectrum had some outages in the area, and so that prevented us from recording yesterday, which is why you're getting this Wednesday morning instead of Tuesday morning. Our apologies. This won't happen very often, but sometimes it's just circumstances beyond our control. Tack, how you doing? I'm doing great. The internet's back. Everything's good here. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot to talk about today because quite a bit happened. Well, I would say in terms of volume, maybe not too much happened, but big news happened in the U.S. Big soccer news. Community. Exactly. And the biggest of news is that Jesse Marsh has been fired at Leeds United. <sighs> this, you know, this was coming for a while, wasn't it, Tech? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> When he signed with Leeds, I think all of us had the same thought. It was kind of like a a situation where he could change the way a lot of the worlds would see U.S. soccer, right? Probably more than Greg Berhalter could have with the national team. Yeah. And we had high hopes. And he took over Leeds after Marcelo Bielsa got fired. He got them at 16th place. And he finished the season in 17th, but he escaped relegation. So that was the job he was hired to do. Get right. Escape relegation. He did. And then the new season comes on and they sign a lot of the players he wanted, right? Or players at least that he rates. I know players yeah. he likes like Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, a couple of guys from uh, from Salzburg, uh, now most recently McKenney, right? I don't know about the others like Ruder and Mark Rocca, but I'm sure he had a say on it at least, like an approval. Yeah. And he's currently at 17th place in the Premier League. He's won, what, two games out of the last 17 after a, a decent start. Remember, Leeds started well the first three to four yeah. games. But I think we saw this coming when we saw, and I think this is what, what we need to talk about before we go to the U.S. Men's National Team coaching discussion, was we saw, by we, I mean a lot of USMNT fans saw this coming. When the results weren't showing up for Leeds, you wouldn't see Marsh try to adapt, try to change. Yeah. You'd see the defensive issues with this team, but he would still try his home, his, his same zonal press, high line, back line exposed, uh, no width on that team too, very narrow, and, and things just don't work. And, he, and I think what was frustrating was just to see, it's like, dude, it's not working. Um, I understand this is what you believe in and you do have to stick to what you believe in, but at some point you have to go, is this insanity? Because it's not working. And it seemed like that's Jesse Marsh because we saw that with Salzburg despite some success. But but again, success at Salzburg is kind of hard to find because every coach has done as well as him or better. Yeah. But Leipzig, sure. Um, there were issues with the board. There were family issues with Marsh. But I guess we should also say it. He did fail at Leipzig. Didn't go well. No, he that absolutely fire. failed. And I think it's yeah. even more telling that he after he left Leipzig, he said he knew when he got to Leipzig it wasn't going to work. Because they had sort of adjusted their playing style under Julian Nagelsmann and they had sort of added variance to their attack. Like Nagelsmann had said, we can't be all pressing and vibes, basically, and had added more of a possession element, some more patience to the way that they attacked. And so even knowing this going in, 
right? A good coach would go, these are the players I have. Maybe I need to adjust a little bit to them. But he didn't do that, and so he failed. But instead of learning his lesson from Leipzig, and and to be honest, from Salzburg, because these questions existed since he was at Salzburg. I remember in those Champions League games where he would go all out against Bayern Munich or Liverpool, right? It was at 2-2 at halftime, and he ends up losing 8-2 because he couldn't adjust. So that was evident at Salzburg. It was evident at Leipzig again. And then it continued to be a problem at Leeds. So what, what it's telling me is this guy can't adapt and that he's stubborn and ideological. And I don't want to call him a failure, but once you have two out of three failures in Europe, it's not looking good for you. Well, you got to look into what the success was too. When we talk about Salzburg, yes. Uh, it goes back to what we talk about Berhalter, right? We said Berhalter got trophies which by definition, that is a success. But we also talked about how a lot of what Burhalter did was kind of like you expected, right? It's like, yeah, we expected him to beat these opponents. When you were when he was successful at Salzburg, he didn't get out of his group in the Champions League. That's fine. He had a tough group, right? Bayern, Atletico Madrid. I, I think it was Atletico Madrid. Um, and he won the Austrian League, which you're supposed to with Salzburg, right? Everyone has the past, what, 10 seasons. And the season after, they got out of their group in the Champions League. An easier group, but they got That's out. That's what I was going to say. After he left, they got out of their group in the Champions League. So it wasn't easier group. Yeah, easier group. But yeah, you're right. But but here's another thing that you mentioned. Nagelsmann changed Leipzig of this whole Red Bull pressing nonsense because that's what it was. But why did he do that? Did he do that because he preferred? No, he did that because the game evolves, right? In yeah. the past... Why was pressing so efficient many, many years ago? And I guess we can even go, I think, when did the whole Ragnick Gegen press start? Um, 90s? It started, honestly, I mean, this is my opinion, is pressing and Gegen pressing was a response to Tiki Taka, right? Spain and Barcelona had basically brought Tiki Taka onto the scene, which was endless possession in order to create superiority in numbers and then kill you with the ball. Pressing and gegenpressing was designed to counteract that. It was a response to that because it wasn't just Barcelona. Once Barcelona does it, everybody tries to copy that success, right? And so gegenpressing was the response and pressing was the response to that. But, but I even think Jurgen Klopp, who was a huge, like, you know, fan of it. And I guess one of the originators of it with Dortmund as well, even he has moved away from it strictly as an attacking and defensive um, yeah. sort of exercise. I was going to go that one thing that really screwed over the whole pressing thing is the fact that nowadays, and we talked about this with the national team too, is they're developing center backs and goalkeepers that can play with their feet. While in the past, like you go to elite center backs from the past, like let's go to Carlos Puyol, world-class center back, right? But kind of bad on the ball, right? Not the greatest, yeah. right? But it's fine during that time. But if you press that guy, he surrenders. Nowadays, you have much more, many more defenders that are comfortable on the ball. Goalkeepers like Neuer, Ederson that are brilliant on the ball. In the past, goalkeepers were bizarre on the ball. Like Matt Turner, the way he plays with his feet was very good for goalkeepers 20 years ago. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Um, like Brazil and, and, and Germany in the 2002 World Cup, Oliver Kahn wasn't good with his feet. It was kind of bad. No, Marcos no. from Brazil was horrible. Worse than Matt Turner. So that evolution of the game kind of like screws over the pressing because now teams have technical players on the back that can break your or just bypass your press. And the problem with Marsh is he's still stuck with that. Another issue I see with Jesse Marsh, it's not just the pressing. We can talk about in possession too. So 
he is right when he talks about attacking through the middle to get goals. Because, of course, if you go through the middle, you're much more likely to score than crosses, right? It's, even though most team crosses, it's tougher to score off a cross than if you can penetrate through the middle. But the thing is, when they talk about how Pep Guardiola does that, Pep Guardiola does that, but he has wingers and he does provide a lot of width to open up space. And he plays, Pep uses like that two three, five formation, right? Five up top with a lot of width and space to create, you know, like, but, but when well, you the look at this, still provide a lot of width in his system. Some of them do, but John Cancelo would sometimes pinch in as an eight, right? Sometimes. But, but the thing with Jesse Marsh is it's so narrow that it, it, it just doesn't work. Everything with him is like that. And it kind of seems like he's just stuck that that's the way you have to play. That's what works. And it's like, dude, it didn't work with Leipzig. It didn't work with leads. You need to maybe sit down and reevaluate your game, right? It might yeah. work in certain occasions, and it has. But, yeah. dude, it, it can't just be that way. And and we can even talk about Alexi Lalas' comments on this earlier today, if you want to hear it, which were uh, – no offense, I hate calling, but it was stupid, the, the comments. But I think it's worth addressing, though. Yeah, the other thing on Jesse is he's described himself many times when he was in the Leipzig system. So he started with Red Bulls in the U.S., became an assistant coach over in in uh, Leipzig, then went to Salzburg as the head coach, and then back to Leipzig. And he described himself as a company man. Like, I don't know if that's something to brag about. Like, do you want to be a company man or do you want to be a successful man? Because good coaches evolve and adapt with the times. He is absolutely stuck in this old mentality that doesn't really work anymore. As an ex it can be a tool in your toolbox. It can't be the engine of your car, right? And that's kind of like how he has seen it. And it's not just that they don't use width. It's that they always play it forward, even when it's not the right choice. Like how many times have we seen Leeds win the ball and try to hit, you know, Bamford or Rodrigo who don't even have the space, right? So, but they just hit it forward and then they rely on, oh, it's okay if they don't win it, we'll just press and try to win it again. And then it's Tyler so Adams' progressive passes with Rocca are inflated and people use that to say he's so great on that, of what he does, but yeah. Well, and the other thing too is that it worked against big teams. Well, big teams who were struggling, so your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, right? When they set up to attack you, they basically give you space and transition. So now you have space to play those direct balls in behind because you're essentially playing in transition. But every other team has figured out, like, I don't think Jesse has beat any team in the in the bottom eight, right? And they all figured out, well, this only works in transition. If we just let them have the ball, they can't break us down with this style. And once again, he didn't change it. So Jesse was the master of his own downfall. And I'm sorry to say that it's true. Uh, I would have wanted him to be successful. I was rooting for Jesse. I wanted to have a successful American coach. He was more successful. He lasted longer than Bob Bradley did at Swansea the last time we had an American in the, in the Premier League. But I don't think he did anything to enhance his reputation and specifically because of his inspirationalist sort of quirks, right? These weird things he had of, you know, having them watch Netflix documentaries in order to motivate them. And just he had a lot of weird, I don't want to say weird, but very American style sort of like ma almost like corporate management style techniques to like build camaraderie. And it just, it makes you look like you don't really understand the game in Europe. From under your, I'm not saying he's even wrong to do that necessarily. I'm just saying the perception, if you're an American coach and you come in and, and you have all these like, you know, pictures of the Dalai Lama or Gandhi up with quotes, 
I don't know how many like English footballers or even European footballers are going to look at that and go, this is a man to be taken seriously. And I just wonder how much that played into that. Well, not just that. They're also, you can put motivational videos. I'm sure other coaches do as well, uh, depending on not really the nationality, but a lot of the coaches do. But the players are seeing that and they're like, okay, but what about the actual tactics? Players selection. The X's and O's, yeah. Yeah, sure. We're motivated, Jesse. We're motivated. Now what? We do the same thing. It's not working. You're you're draining our. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't work for me. Uh, and and again, I do think we do need to say this too. Leeds has spent 145 million euros this season for Jesse yeah. on signings. But not just that. Weston McKinney was on a low loan loan fee. So if you if they actually signed Weston McKinney, which was like 30 to 40, that means they would have spent somewhere between 175 million euros, which I understand that the Premier League spends a lot, but that's a lot of money to build your team, right? Especially when you already have you already had like Bielsa like players, which love to he loves to press too. So you already had some players that were somewhat fitting of Marsh's system. And they spent nearly they spent nearly 150 million euros. So it's not like they didn't invest or try to get players for Jesse. It is a bit odd that they signed three guys this window and didn't really give Jesse maybe a few more weeks. But at the same time, I really can't blame the Leeds board for what they did. It was a no, decision. No, because if you look at the situation, you don't see improvement. Like it's one thing if it's still not going well, but you see signs of progress. And then you go, okay, that's, he seems to be able to turn this around. He just needed the right signings. But at this point, it almost doesn't matter how many signings you bring in. Like it's going to be the same thing. If you're, if you're not able to adapt, all your signings are going to be forced into doing the same thing. Like, I just don't, honestly, even with like Willie Nonto, do you notice, notice how he much better he was when he first came in, when he first came in and it felt like he wasn't too tied to a system. He looked a lot more creative and instinctive and natural on the ball. Now watching Willie Nonto, it just feels like he's been told, run down that line and then just go put that cross in fast, move it. Fast. It's just, again, square pegs, round holes. I, I feel like we're repeating ourselves. But yeah, I, I think just one thing to add, Pete, that is very disappointing for myself. I mean, we can even talk about this. Both of us did want Jesse Marsh. If you go back two years ago, we we're like, wait, Jesse had just gotten out of Salzburg, was getting a job at Leipzig. We we're like, wait a second. This guy might be a good option for the 2026 cycle, right? Yeah. He was successful in Austria, at least did what he was supposed to do, had a good a career in MLS, has experience, was an assistant coach in the World Cup in 2010 with Bob Bradley. Yeah, under Bradley. Yeah. So had some experience being a coach in that environment in the World Cup that we made it to the knockout rounds. So I did want Jesse to be the national team coach. But after seeing it, and this is one thing people need to get in their heads, is – when you're giving opinions, if things change over time, if you don't change your opinion, you're just stubborn and trying to die on the hill. And me personally, I did want Jesse Marsh two years ago, but after seeing what he did at Leipzig, seeing what he did at Leeds, I think right now is not the time. If he goes to different teams and he adapts and we see him improve over time, sure, 2030 cycle, 2034, he's still a young manager. He's like 49. Managers can go till they're 70, so he's got yeah. time. But right now, I think it would be a big mistake to to sign jesse marsh after he's failed two times in a row at a high yeah, level i agree and i i think it's i even said it like i remember when he went to leipzig and definitely when he said you know went to leeds people can go back on the channel and 
you know, look, if they want, I had real concerns about Jesse's inability to adapt. And it looks like he didn't fix that. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but unfortunately he proved me right. And I'm not happy about that because I wanted him to be a success. Now, I don't know what Leeds are going to do with the new coach, but do we really want Aronson Adams and Weston getting relegated? You know, I don't think so. Weston won't stay though. Uh, I'm less Weston worried about Weston. I'm less worried Weston about Weston. Weston lose weight, dude. Did yeah, you see him on the weekend? Yeah. He doesn't look fit. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know why we have to tiptoe around this issue. It's a real issue. He doesn't look fit to me. If we want, we have to hold our players accountable. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't look fit to me. And I think he needs to, that's an area of his life that he really needs to work on. The thing is, it's not just me and you saying it, right? We saw, You had Chiellini say it. Uh, there was someone else that said Juventus. I mean, it was in the Juve documentary. They talked about it with him. They talked about, yeah, West. And and the thing is, you see, Weston's such a talented player, yeah. And in a player that is very smart on the pitch, and also yeah. his athleticism and how dynamic he is, you do need to be in peak shape, peak form. And if he had an amazing discipline right there, it would be a big difference maker. But I'm not too worried about Weston. I like that you brought up the players. Because he will leave Leeds regardless, in my opinion. Even if they stay, yeah. I think he's not yeah, staying. I but there's two players that are still there, and they will be there maybe even if Leeds gets relegated. One's Aronson, the other one's Tyler Adams. And I guess Chris Armas is there now. As uh, He's one of the coaches. He's not going to stay. He only got that job because of Jesse. The new coach yeah. is not going to keep Chris Armas. He got to he yeah. got to be there for one game. Well, he's going to be there for the Man United match this Wednesday. He's going to be in charge. Against his former team. He's in charge. I don't think he's he's gonna, gonna, the three of them are going to be in charge. It's kind of interesting how they do that. He's going to lead leads to beat manchester no that's not going to happen probably but <laughs> imagine him coaching against ten Hag. but but i think the problem here is this brendan aronson sure you can bring a different coach that'll have a team that'll have more width and there'll be more space centrally and maybe aronson will thrive i think his minutes are going to tank without jesse personally brendan aronson tyler adams his minutes are going to tank probably not but no don't be shocked if depending on what another coach's system wants to look like, if he's benched, that could happen. I don't think so because they don't have another six, dude. Well, I, you don't think you could start a pivot with McKenny and Rocca, depending on the coach? That would be a terrible pivot. Well, I don't think. I, mean, I think Tyler Adams offers you more defensive solidarity than anybody else on that midfield. Oh yeah, so for I sure. I don't think they'll bench him for sure. But I'm just saying, if he gets relegated, do you think Tyler leaves Leeds if they get relegated? I don't know what they have in his contract. Like, I don't know if he, if he has a relegation clause. Say he not. doesn't have a relegation clause. Someone will have to go and pay a transfer um, fee or I whatever. can see a, another low-level Premier League club picking him up. The types that are want that really want to be defensively compact will like Tyler Adams. But nobody who wants to play a lot on the ball. Like maybe a Brentford. Yeah, a Brentford or maybe even an Aston Villa. But Aston Villa are better on the ball than Leeds. Yeah, um, but, Everton, if they survive, I don't know. It depends well, I mean, on the direction they want to if go. If Leeds goes down, Everton might be one of the ones to Yeah, survive. they may survive. You know, maybe a Bournemouth. They have American ownerships. I can see that. Or maybe a team coming up like Burnley. Sure. Or Norwich. If, well, Norwich probably won't. No, it Norwich looks like Burnley is... Yeah, Burnley's already confirmed coming up. It looks like Watford yeah. is going up too. So, Well, Burnley and Sheffield, are they have a big gap. Those two. I'm sorry. Yeah, Burnley and Sheffield. Watford are in the playoffs with... 
with Norwich. With West so Brom and all that. Yeah, I West mean, Brom, yeah. that's the, the one thing that I want to say. Like, I, I don't see Tyler Adams going to like a top eight or top ten Premier League no. team. I think if they get relegated, it'll probably be another relegation battle team or more of like a Brentford that can, you know, fight for that mid-table spot in a good season. Uh and he and I think he should probably seek a move if he goes to the champion. Brendan Aronson, on the other hand, is the big question here. If they get relegated, I don't think anyone's gonna sign him for the fee that they pay, like 30 something million. So what does Brendan yeah. do? Does he just stay? I think he should stay probably and play the second division. Maybe. Maybe. Let's see how it goes. Do you have a uh, sponsor reading for us? I do have a sponsor reading here, and that is from DraftKings Sportsbook. And NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops to action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 to win $200 in bonus bets instantly. So all you have to do right now is download the app and sign up with the code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with the code TBPN. That is DraftKings Sportsbook. And thank you very much for sponsoring the channel and the Super Bowls this weekend, actually, too. You can play you can play football or American football there in the app as well. Enjoy and play with responsibility, everyone. All right. So let's get on to our next topic of discussion, which part of this, it seems to have been sort of resurrected because of Jesse Marsh's firing, the USMNT head coaching job. Who's still available? Who's a realistic candidate? A lot of people want Jesse Marsh. We have our own thoughts on Jesse Marsh for you know reasons which I feel like we've already articulated. But what I thought we could do, Tack, is go over a, a list here. I have a list of 10 candidates who are either unemployed at the moment or are realistic gets. You know, So some of them are MLS coaches, right, who realistically you could get an MLS coach to quit his job, pay off his salary and, you know, bring him to U.S. soccer. Um, so let's just talk about, let's kind of go through this list of 10. We can go one by one and just kind of talk about, well, give him a rating, either hell yeah, we would want him, hell no, we would not want him or kick the tires, which is essentially a maybe like give him an interview. He's not somebody that you're like, we absolutely need this guy. You know, and he's not, you don't want him, but it's, it's a candidate that you would consider, right? Mm -hmm. So what's number one there? Who's the first one? Okay. So the first candidate here is Jesse Marsh. Let's just start talking about him. Um, for me, this is a hell no. And I just don't like, I, for me, he's Greg Berhalter 2.0, um, stubborn, inflexible, and way too much focused on things like vibes. I also don't want him because I think that you need to build around your best players. And I don't think turning our best attacking players are Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and probably Weston McKinney right now. I don't think turning those three into pressing merchants is ever going to work. Pulisic, one of the reasons he doesn't start as much at Chelsea as some people would like is because he's not good defensively. He's not a pressing guy. Gio Reyna is definitely not a pressing guy. Weston McKinney can be, but it's not the biggest part of his game. And turning us into a pressing, overly direct team, I just don't think that's going to work. So I don't want Jesse Marsh there. No, I mean, uh, I guess we talked enough about Jesse that obviously I agree with that. The only scenario I would prefer Jesse right now is if we had to choose between Burhalter and Marsh, I would definitely go with Marsh right now because 
think we've sure. had enough of Greg Burhalter. There's still question marks in regards to Burhalter and Reyna, right? How that would go. Yeah. Uh, at least Jesse, as far as we know, there's no issues between him and Giovanni Reyna. Besides maybe that Gio won't press for him as much. But to me, it's a hell no right now for Jesse, unless it comes down to be, being between him and, and Greg. That's like the only scenario that I would change my mind. But I guess I don't have to dive into it very much because we sort of talked about the issues with Marsh. And, and he's a guy that would come into the national team. And maybe I'm wrong, but the way I see it is he has his system and he has to build around the system and not around his best players. So he would try to adapt, like get the players that fit his system and not really, okay, what are the best guys I have? These guys. Okay, how can I build a system to get the best out of him? It's almost like going to Argentina with like a system and you're like, well, if Messi doesn't fit it, he doesn't fit it. It's like, yeah. no, you got to find a way to get the best out of Messi. He's like, nah, man, if he, I want to press and Messi doesn't press enough. So I'll play him because it's Messi. But yeah, I might not get the best out of him. But so what? My system works. Because he'll probably yeah. still start Pulisic, still start Reyna possibly if Reyna continues to play well for Dorman. But yeah, it might just be a way he wants to play that won't work. Right. I still think he'll select most of the best players. I did put a tweet out that people got some people got angry and didn't get the jokes. I put that he would start Ariola. I don't think he'll start Ariola, but the whole joke there is like he's gonna prioritize pressing. And Ariola, if there's something he does, is press. I can see him starting Aronson a lot for sure. Locked like, I can see starter. Aronson becoming, yeah, locked in starter, but which I don't think he deserves, not with the talent that we have. So hell no on Jesse Marsh. Maurizio Pochettino, you go first. I would say, hell yeah. I would say, hell yeah. A guy that knows how to work with stars has had success at the highest level, has had failures too, for sure. But every definitely coach every, every coach has gotten, besides Sir Alex, I guess. Sir Alex and Pep has technically never been fired, but Pep yeah. also had the luxury of picking the best clubs and having always, well, in Barcelona, he had the Spanish national team that won three trophies in six and years Messi. plus Messi. Yeah. In Bayern Munich, he won. He did the same thing that, in fact, he actually. Got, Bayern Munich were worse under Pep. They yeah. won the the treble the year before he got there, and then he never won the Champions League with them. Always the Bundesliga, which is normal for Bayern. And then Man City, he's done well. Obviously, very good. Many Premier League still never won the Champions League. He's never been fired, but he's also been at clubs where the the bar is like it's how do I how do I describe this? It would be hard to get fired at any of those clubs with the money that he spent. Yeah, I would clubs. say Pep has had moments where he was extremely successful and several moments where he achieved sort of what you expected from that club. Right. He never really Huge failed. successful manager. Yeah, he's just like always doing at least what you need, sometimes more. He never did below. Like he never was a failure. Never, and, and Sir Alex no. has always been successful. But yeah, most managers that are very good have had failures. Many yeah, of them, it's right? Normal. Uh, but Pochettino, to me, is a hell yeah. I think it would be an interesting name there. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't put him as my number one option. But let's say U.S. Soccer announces him. I would be I would be hyped for it. Well, hang on then. Who would be your number one? My number one. Do I do I reveal it now or do I wait a little bit? You could wait. I guess the only black mark or the only reason for skepticism rather against Pochettino would be he's never managed a national team before, right? So we don't know how would you know, coaching at a club and his tactics, would he be able to make the adaptation to a national team? That remains to be seen. Gennaro Gattuso. For me, Tag, this is kick the tires, but very skeptically. Um, 
he's only coached in two places, one at AC Milan, one at Valencia. Let's he failed in both of those. He got fired. They were poor, was never really able to find much success with either club or with either of those clubs. He got the Milan job because of who he is, right? He's Gattuso. He's like a legend of the Italian national team and Milan. Um, but I don't know if he's really that great a coach. I would say hell no. To yeah. <laughs> I would actually say hell no. Uh, the only thing that would be cool about him is the press conference. because the guy, sometimes he's like a, He's sometimes nuts. maybe a very good, sometimes a shit. <laughs> yeah, so that would be cool. But as a coach, I would say hell no. Two failures right there. Uh, and we go back. His name carries a lot of weight. That's why he got. That's why he got yeah. a lot of the jobs there. And he has failed. So to me, Gattuso would be a hell no. Plus, no international experience as a head coach. No. Right. Uh, the only thing I thank him is thank you for giving Yunus Musa a lot of minutes as a central midfielder in La Liga. But besides that, no thank you. Yeah. Next up is Irv Renard, the Saudi Arabia coach. Now, technically, yeah. he's not unemployed, right? But you mentioned that there was a report, I believe, in French. Maybe you can elaborate on that about him. Yeah. So a viewer of my channel dropped a comment to me and I asked him to send a link. He never sent it. But apparently, I think he's French-American and, and he said that there was a podcast and Irv Renard was speaking French. And he was saying that he has a clause in his contract that he can leave whenever he wants. So he is a Saudi coach. And that kind of makes sense because he had that when he was coaching Morocco also. And he left yeah. Morocco mid-cycle to go to Saudi Arabia. So that has happened yeah. before. Uh, Herb Renard also in the same podcast said that he wanted to coach countries from different confederations. It seemed like from what I understood from what the guy said is he said something along the lines that he wants to coach one country from every like every confederation in different World Cups. So one from CONCACAF, one from Comebol, one from Europe. Or UF. That's like a personal goal of his. Uh, we've seen that he has the attitude, like he does have the right like leadership skills. We've seen him overachieve with less, right? He won two African Cup of Nations with um with uh oh it's getting out of my head right now. Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast and was it I Gabon? Think it was Gabon, yeah, it was Gabon. Gabon, which is it's crazy. He wanted them. Uh, he uh, before they got to the World Cup, many people from that follow Asian soccer were talking about very highly of Saudi Arabia of Hervernard. He came into the World Cup and he did shock the world, but he was the only team that beat Argentina in the World Cup. The only team. Yeah. Sure, then he got knocked down in the group stage, but when you look at the talent they have, I mean, that's sort of... Yeah. We expected zero points, and the guy still pulled out a win against Argentina. Yeah, uh, Hervernard, to me, would be a hell yeah. Lots of experience there. I understand there's going to be Leo fans that are going to bring that up. He's not coaching a club. In the national team, he's been very good in the national team yeah. level. I would love to have him. He also speaks English. That's another, yeah. Yeah. not crucial, but it's a plus to me. I think it's very important. Sure. Uh, I just don't know if he would want to live in Chicago. Plus, the guy looks like a James Bond villain. I just think that looks badass. I mean, I would rather live in Chicago than Saudi Arabia. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I just don't think the guy wants, well, does he live in Saudi Arabia? I don't know, actually. He might not. That's he might question. live in France and go back and forth. It's a national exactly. team job. You're not there most of the time. Yeah. So but he probably uh, at least spends a lot of time in Saudi Arabia because he has to watch all the players are in the domestic league. So yeah, I mean, but he, but he can watch a lot on TV and a lot on the stage. He probably yeah, has a team scout. Generally, I think with national team coaches, you do a Dude, lot. But of there's only two person. teams to watch. Also, it's like all the players <laughs> are from two teams. That's all he has to do. So if he has a scout going to the games, and then when the, those two teams play each other, then he has to go because then he's watching everyone, right? Yeah. Um, but it's a quick trip, also, right, from Saudi Arabia to Europe. 
How many hours of flight? Not that much. I mean, depends where in Europe probably, but it's not super far now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's a hell yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on, on Renard. Frank Lampard for me is a hell no. This guy has (laughs) not yet demonstrated that he can be a good coach. I'm sorry. Chelsea, he did reasonably well getting them into top four, right? When Pulisic basically carried them to top four. Um, but his spell with Everton has demonstrated that he only gets jobs. You know, again, some of these players just get jobs because they were club legends, you know, and national team legends. And so they get jobs, but it doesn't mean they're a good coach. I put Lampard in the same category as Gattuso, one of those players who has yet to demonstrate they're a very good coach. Uh, so for me, it's a no. Yeah, of course. No. Uh, now a quick question to you before you go to the next one. If it comes down to like, I, I, and I'm just making this up right now. Yeah. There's nothing. Uh, um, Frank Lampard or Jesse Marsh? Ooh. I mean, I'll tell you one thing before you pick. That's tough. Frank, Frank Lampard's style of play with Chelsea, which was the one I followed the most when Pulisic yeah. was there with him, is definitely better for the men's national team than Jesse Marsh, his way. Yes. My question is how much of, of what happened at Chelsea was on him? It was a, it was a weird time, right, coming out of – it was like COVID. after lockdown, yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to really say how much was on him. But I think when you look at the job he did at Everton, where he had a significant amount of time, it was mostly a failure. I mean, barely avoided relegation last season, right? Barely. I and just... then again this year, <laughs> fired. You know, I mean, that's the battle of mid, Jesse Marsh versus Frank Lampard. I'm not sure I would want either of them. I was about to say that I just gave you the battle of mid and told you to choose a mid and you're just like okay i'm not choosing a mid here (laughs) honestly i'd probably pick frank lampard just because i think it would be important to get an outsider in um i think we've seen a lot of problems within the american coaching circle of you know closeness to the federation i mean jesse's an insider right coached under bob bradley as a ussf man like i just i I think there's real issues in u.s soccer with hiring friends and brothers and so i think an outsider would be necessary at this point one of your criterias, Pete, is that Claudio Reyna can't have the number of the coach, the phone number. Yes. Claudio okay. Reyna, no thank you. Please stay away. But I also think he'd be less likely to influence a Frank Lampard than he would a Jesse Marsh. But look, 100%. Claudio has lost his job at Austin now. I think payment has been or punishment has been meted out for his crimes. I don't know if we need to keep, you know, I don't think he's now going to go again to the next coach and try to influence them. I think hopefully he's learned his lesson. Um uh, next up, we've got Jim Curtin. Now, I'm on record as saying I don't want an MLS coach. This is the most important cycle in um, in the American soccer history. I really believe that. And we have a real opportunity here in getting an experienced coach uh, of high pedigree that can really you know, give us as much opportunity as possible to be successful in this cycle is what I think we need to go for. So f- for me, it's a no on Curtin. Okay? That's – but – if we decide to go with an American coach, Pellegrino Matarazzo out of the way, especially out of the MLS coaches, Curtin would be my first choice out of the MLS coaches because he seems to be a good man manager. He did more with less in Philly in terms of their budget, right? I mean, some of that is probably down to good recruiting and scouting, but he had the pieces and he put them together well to make them quite successful in Philly over the last couple of years, has experience with youth players. And from all the reports coming out of Philly, he's a good man manager more than a strict tactician, which is kind of what you want from a national team coach. So Curtin would be my first choice. Let me throw the question to you, Jim Curtin or Jesse Marsh? Right now, and 
I kind of leaked this already on the channel and people got some, some understood, some got mad, but it's good that now we might be able to elaborate this year because you yeah. can talk instead of Twitter. But yeah. I said it on the channel, I would actually prefer Jim Curtin right now. Oh, uh, you Euro snob talk. You're an yeah. MLS Yeah, MLS <laughs> show, MLS show right here. The, here's Tag the way MLS I show. see it. Here's the way I see it. And I'm going to try to explain this to the best of my ability so people can understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not no, an I'm, MLS show. I'm not a Euro snob. Fair is fair. Yeah. If and, you and are, by the way, I agree with you. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you are a very good MLS player and you're blowing up and then people in MLS are saying, this guy's good enough for the Premier League. And then you go to the Premier League and you fail. That means you were not a Premier League player. You were a very good MLS player. Jesse Marsh was very good in MLS as a coach. He went to Europe. He was good in Austria. Sure. He won. Decent, decent to good. Decent in Austria. in Austria. But the first thing is he was in the most dominant team that everyone dominates when they coach there. Second thing the, is the Austrian league better than MLS? Probably not, besides Salzburg. Everything else no. is probably worse. So that's the second thing. MLS show right there. But and then he <laughs> went to leagues that were better than MLS in terms of level of play coaching tactics scouting bigger budgets everything especially the bundesliga i think the bundesliga is the most well coached league in the world the coaches there are very good for the most part not all but for the most part the premier league i think a lot of the teams are very poorly coached especially by english managers i think the high end goes, teams are well coached the high end but outside of that a lot of them was just are just a bunch of soccer terrorists but when you go on jesse marsh fails in the bundesliga fails in the premier league so who is jesse marsh I think he's a good MLS coach. That's what he is right now. Can he improve? Uh, it goes back to what you're saying. He needs to learn what were, he needs to understand. What did he do right? What did he do wrong in the Bundesliga and Premier League and improve? But as of now, he's only proven that he's a good MLS coach. Now, Jim Curtin, same thing. He's proven he's a good MLS coach. Has he proven himself in Europe? No, but he hasn't failed in Europe either. And he does say right. that he wants to go eventually. Uh, and I think Jim Curtin, when you look at his MLS resume, there's a couple of things that are much more interesting. He he seems much more open to adapting than Jesse Marsh. He's not stuck in that Red Bull system. And again, I'm not saying I want Jim Curtin in the national team. I actually wouldn't wouldn't want him right now. If he is hired, I'll I'll support him. Let's go. I'll Let's give him the benefit to... of the doubt. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but... Even same with Jesse. To be fair. Yeah, if Jesse's hired, I, I mean, uh, the thing is, Ber the picking on Burhalter from this, the get-go was his hiring process. That was the main problem. Well, if I think Jesse a, lot, a lot of us also gave him a good shout. Like, a lot of the anti-Burhalter thing didn't really start until, you know, he actually started coaching. And that first year was terrible. And then he yeah, never I really mean, But, but the thing that. is, it, it kind of, Burhalter already started in a crooked way. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. That is the problem. Like, if Jesse is hired, it's not crooked it might be a bad decision or, or a right decision who knows but it's not crooked right it's not his brother pointing someone that will sign him unless jesse marsh is a brother that's now in the federation unless the sporting director is named gerald marsh gerald marsh <laughs> gerald marsh just appointed this hmm. dude that's gonna so again any of these guys if they get signed let's give them the benefit of the doubt who knows they might be very good at the national team level but i would go jim kern for that reason i think they're about the same level right now but jim kern it's a bit of a we don't know what we're going to get from Jim, Jim Curtin. It could be very good. Jesse Marsh, yeah. there's much more pessimism in terms of like what we've been seeing from him lately. And and it kind of seems like if I had a bet on Jesse, he's just going to go with the same crap he's been doing the past two years. He's just going to keep yeah. trying. Yeah. No, I agree. Next up is Steve Cherundolo. And for me, this is a hell no. 
not because he's not a good coach, but because he has limited experience. And I mean, extremely limited. Again, once again, guys, we have to look at this. The most important cycle in American soccer history, hiring a coach with two years of professional experience as a, as a coach of a pro team, one of which was in USL, the other of which was in MLS, is a very risky move, guys. Like, yes, he did great with LAFC last year to win Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. Congratulations. He also had the strongest roster in the league. So he met expectations. But there's not enough data on Steve Cherundolo. Yeah, I know he coached youth teams in Germany. It's not the same thing, right? There's no pressure on a youth team. Coaching, you know, under pressure, under the spotlight, he's very young. I think he's probably a very talented coach. By all reports, you know, he took the the pro license, the UEFA pro license in German and topped his class, or I think somewhere on the top 10% of his class. So by all reports, he's a very good soccer mind. I just think way too young and inexperienced right now. If he has another successful season with LAFC, I think maybe the next step for him is to use his contacts or contacts in Germany to get maybe a job there in the two Bundesliga or something and, and try to continue to prove himself. But I just don't think we can afford to hire somebody that inexperienced for such an important cycle. It's too much of a risk. Yeah, it's more about that. It's more because of the cycle. I think if it's not a cycle that we were hosting the World Cup with the generation that will be kind of like a lot of the players will be peaking during that. Not all of them, but a lot of them will. Uh, I think it's a very important cycle that we should avoid that. Now, Steven Sherundlo, if they keep if he keeps working his way up, uh, regardless of of him having the best roster in MLS, he still won the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup, and that deserves a lot of praise. By the way, Jim Curtin also did a fantastic job two seasons in a row with a more limited roster, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, to me, it's hell no right now for Chirondolo, but he is a manager or a coach that I'm keeping an eye on. I think could be something for 2030 or 2034. Okay, so next up on the list is a very controversial figure, Marcelo Bielsa. Rumors were Mexico were, were looking at him. Rumors at Everton were looking at him. But he's still on the market. What do you think, Tack, about Marcelo Bielsa? Does he deserve the hype? A lot of people hype him up. A lot of people talk about Bielsa like he's a god. Pep Guardiola, for example, is a big... Lots of coaches are big fans of his. Pep Guardiola is one of the most notable ones. I am, I, I'm at kick the tires on Marcelo Bielsa because I don't know if the U.S. is the right fit for him. And I'll explain my reasons in a bit, but first I want to hear yours. So for Bielsa, one positive is he, he is an outsider, right? And we talked about how that could be a bonus, right, for all of this. We talked about how not Claudio Reyna not being able to challenge you, right? Even though I don't think that will ever be a problem again with Claudio Reyna specifically, but we kind of want to get out of that little boys club. It'll be a sign of progress in U.S. soccer. Personally, I would say, I don't want to say hell no, like if... If Bielsa comes up, it's not the end of the world, but he kind of strikes me of, as one of those coaches that has been very successful in multiple times his, his occasion, but he's kind of old. I think a little bit stubborn it, with the way he wants things to happen. Um, pragmatic in the sense of he won't adapt, kind of like what we were complaining about Jesse. He literally was going down with leads with the ship. It's like, I'm going to continue to play this way and I'm going down to this way. And if you guys don't like it, you fire me. And they had no option but to fire him someone like Jesse. So I personally probably would say hell no. And again, if they hire Bielsa, it's not like I'm going to hate it, but I do have a lot of question marks about El Loco Bielsa at the moment. 
He is he's definitely proven. Gone up in flames almost everywhere he's been after two or three years. Like yeah, they call him crazy. It never lasts. Reason. You know, it never lasts with Bielsa. And that's kind of for me, that's not the mark of a great coach. That's the mark of a a very stubborn control freak who can be very good for a short period of time. It's like that relationship. It's like a bad boyfriend for a girl, you know, where it's just, it's crazy. It's passionate. It's, it's wild. It's like emotions are super high and it's amazing for a bit, but it, there's no stability to it in the long term. Now you could say, well, this cycle is only three and a half years, but then you risk it going up in flames right before the world cup, even if he is successful in the interim. Well, so I also don't think he... we have the players to play the way that he wants to play. Like, if you look at his national team, Chile, right, and Argentina are his two national team jobs. Let's be honest, he failed with Argentina in 2002. They well, got and... knocked out of the group. Well, what about Chile? He didn't do that. Chile well was very him. successful up to a point. Well, they won a bunch of stuff without they won Copa America twice. No, no, no. He was before that. Oh, was he gone by then? Yeah, oh, you're they right. He was gone. That's right. He wasn't there. They won. They they were so. I don't remember when he left Chile, but they won. I think one or two coaches right after. <laughs> so yeah, his national that is team, true. You're right. His national team career is not that great. I know. I think he won the Olympics with Argentina. Um, I remember that, but but again, eh, Argentina. Yeah, uh, Mexico has won the Olympics. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean I. I am, I think one of the best works that Bielsa has done was with Leeds, like bringing them back to relevancy, right? Getting them out of the championship, back to Premier And the first season he had in the Premier League with Leeds was very good. They finished ninth. But, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to say hell no. I'm trying to – let me just pull up some of Marcelo Bielsa's accomplishments as a manager. Uh, at the club level, news old boys. Uh, he won the Argentina Primera División twice, from what it looks like. And he, he was second place in the Copa Libertadores in 1992, which, by the way, Argentine clubs used to be very successful in the Libertadores, far better than Brazilian clubs at the time. Vélez Sarsfield, he won the Clausura, the Primera División Clausura. With Argentina's national team, he won the 2004 Summer Olympics. Then he won the Comebol Pre-Olympic, which that doesn't matter. And he finished second in the Copa America in 2004, losing to Brazil in the final. Then he was a runner-up in the Copa del Rey with Atletico Bilbao, runner-up in the Europa League with Atletico Bilbao. So there's a lot of runners up here, second places. And then with Leeds, he got the championship. So yeah, he's he's coached a lot of teams here, here and there. But I, but the way he is right now, outdated. I, I, I he's. I would say hell no to Marcelo Bielsa right now. And also just to articulate what he does is he has this very intense man-to-man -man, uh, marking, man-to-man -man pressing, right? Yeah. Similar to Jesse, but not. And uh, it, the whole thing breaks down if one person doesn't execute their press properly. So if Christian Pulisic gets played around or Gio Reyna gets played around, the whole thing falls apart. And he's very stubborn. He refuses to give interviews in English, which is not the end of the world, right? We have a huge Spanish-speaking speaking population in America. But I do think that in order to grow the game in this country, the head coach is kind of one of the, pro, you know, prominent figures and the way that they communicate to the public. He's, he's also very recalcitrant in how he communicates in that he's not very forthcoming, right? He's very quiet and almost abrasive in how he communicates at times. And it almost feels like he doesn't want to talk to the media a lot of the times. I just think in America, especially because we're trying to grow the game, especially in this cycle 
right? Where we're really trying to get America to pay attention to soccer. I really think you need somebody who's going to be a little bit more open and a little bit more, just a better communicator with the fan base. So it's not really about him not speaking English. It's more his communication style. I don't think you'd have the best communication style for what we're looking for. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say hell no on BL. So I'm done talking about him too. Yeah, I am. I am a kick the tires with real reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, Joachim Lowe, for me, this is a hell yes. Um, the man won a World Cup. And sure, it was with Germany, but Germany hadn't won the World Cup since, I believe, 1990, right? Um, and, you know, that took them 26 years to do so. So it's not like... And then, yeah, it, it sort of got old with Germany too. But this is a man who's a good man manager and a good tactician. And he showed that with Germany. So, Can I add one thing, Pete, to what yeah. you're saying? Sorry to interrupt, but because uh, people were talking about how towards the end he failed with Germany. But here's the thing with Germany. They replaced him after the Euros with Hansi Flick. And Hansi Flick also did not get out of his group in the World Cup, just to point right. that out. It's more of right. a Germany problem than a coach problem. Yeah, that's a that's a really fair point, you know. Um, so I would say hell yes to Joachim Lowe. The man knows the international game. He's ever, only ever coached the international game, really, apart from some very small clubs at the beginning of his career before he became Jurgen Klinsmann's, Jurgen Klinsmann's assistant. So yes, for me, I would absolutely, he would be a top three choice for me, Joachim Lowe. What about his I mean, man? Scratch and sniff tendencies might be uh, a problem, but you know, I'm sure he's learned from that. So, yeah, he's he's a a coach that we we might need to teach him some manners. Like, dude, just like, can you like not scratch? You might need to put that in his contract. No, scratching. yeah, yeah. Can like we had a co- we were dealing with a coach that did bounce passes, and we already were just like kind of like tired of it at one point. But I'd rather have a coach that does bounce passes than one that picks his nose and scratches. Well, so let's try to put some boundary. Let's learn from Burhalter and put some clauses in the contracts. Like, yeah. dude, like for ninety minutes, can you not do it? When you get to the locker room, do whatever you want. <laughs> Well, maybe don't like, you know, standing next to Christian Pulisic doing your scratch and save it for when you're at home or in your car, Jurgen, Jurgen, Joachim, okay? Yeah, yeah, just don't, but but especially when the cameras are not on you, really avoid it, like really. Yeah, well, you never know when the camera's on you, the camera's on you the whole game and you never know when they're going to, when they're going to cut to. Yeah, the full 90 minutes that I meant, like don't do it in the, on the field, don't do it, It's, it's just, it's nasty and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, Gustavo yeah. Alfaro, the former Ecuador Ecuador coach. I know less about him than you do. I would say kick the tires because I think there's something there, but I'll freely acknowledge that my lo- my knowledge of him is limited outside of Ecuador at the World Cup. So I'm going to hand this one to you. You watch. Yeah, he's, he's coached Boca too, but I think the main thing with him is more of like if you were going to talk about player, we talk about form, and he's coming off some good form if we can put it that way. He picked up an Ecuadorian side that was kind of broken. Because they had some issue, they hired Jordi Cruyff, right, the son of Johan Cruyff, and during the pandemic, this guy was like kind of like getting paid and not working, and and his contract was terminated or whatever. Things were weird with Jordi Cruyff, and Ecuador was in a weird spot because people were seeing the talent there. They were talking about Independiente del Valle was kind of rising in South America, and but there was so much uncertainty with Ecuador, right? And they can't really qualify to World Cups regularly. And and Comebol isn't that easy to qualify if you're if you're not Brazil and Argentina, it's not that easy to qualify. Even for Uruguay, it's not that easy. You have to grind it out. But Gustavo Faro took Ecuador, which was a team as young as the US, right? The second youngest team in the World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. 
And with the rise of these players, he built a very good team. Like we saw them play the Dutch. They actually outplayed the Dutch. They tied 1-1, but they outplayed the Dutch. He did a great job in World Cup qualifying, playing teams like Brazil, Argentina. He's 6-1. It was 6-1 against Colombia. This team looked very good under Gustavo Alfaro. And as much as I talk about Ecuadorian talent, I think, and we talked about this on the, the Comebol CONCACAF ranking we did, uh, I ranked Ecuador ahead of the U.S. because of what I saw from Ecuador under Alfaro. But I did say that the U.S. has more talent than Ecuador right now, at least more abundance of talent, uh, despite us saying that maybe Moises Caicedo is at a higher level than all of our players at the moment. But we talked about, like, overall, the U.S. is a better player pool. So what I'm thinking to myself is this guy has experience in South American club level, and he's proven himself in Ecuador during this cycle. So... I would be open. I would say hell yeah to Gustavo Alfaro. Now, would it work out? There's a lot of question marks of whether or not it would. I don't know if Gustavo Alfaro speaks English. That is another thing to talk about. But And we talked about how that can be an issue, not just from communicating with the fans, but the players too, right? You need to communicate with the players. So I would say hell yeah, but not a overly excited hell yeah. It's more of a like, if they get him, they signed a guy that is competent. Doesn't mean it'll work. Yeah, I'm I'm still on kick the tires with positive um, mm-hmm. expectations, but also acknowledging that my knowledge of Alfaro is, is limited. That's fair. Last but not least, and guys, Pellegrino Matarazzo is not on this list because it does seem like he's taking the job at Hoffenheim. Mm-hmm. Um, and best of luck to him. He might be our he will be if he takes that job, the only American coaching in a top five league. Had a pretty good record with Stuttgart. Um, got them promoted, kept them in for two seasons, was fired. Third, you know, midway through the third season, they haven't really improved all that much since he left. So he does seem to have done a very good job. He's a very close friend of Julian Nagelsmann and has openly talked about how similar their philosophies are. So I think that would be an interesting one, but he's not on this list because it doesn't look like he's going to be available. I'm surprised we never reached out to him at all. I, I thought he would, you know, at least maybe we would talk to him. But um, well, we're busy with other things. The Federation's yeah, always we have other issues. Other- yeah. We have to sort it out. But last but not least is Greg Berhalter. And we have talked no. endlessly about Greg Berhalter. It's a hell no. Mm. There's no way you can bring him back. I mean, we don't need to like expand on this because we've talked endlessly about Greg Berhalter. Everybody knows where we stand, but it's been slash and burn since the end of the World Cup. The minute he opened his mouth about Gio Reyna at that press conference, I felt like it was over. Like there was no way to rescue um, the situation. And he's had his time. He's had his time. It wasn't all bad, but it was significantly lower than uh, the expectations that should have been. And there's just no way we can continue with him. Well, I think, we again, I'm not going to talk about Greg. We talked about it way too much. And I and it became even a popular opinion. Like, even people that liked Greg Berhalter and defended Greg Berhalter, they, they won't say Greg out, anything like that. But they're already saying it's like, yeah, I think we need to move on from him. They're everyone like it's such a small minority, right? It might be like one or two percent of the fan base that might or less that that are like want Greg Berhalter to stay. But do you want to know my number one option? Because I didn't say. Yeah, let's hear it. It wasn't in the list because I don't know if it's realistic. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe during the summer it will be. But if I had to choose a coach that there is a slight chance, a very small, because I'm not going to go and say Pep Guardiola. That's not happening right now. Even if he leaves Manchester City with the alleged financial irregularities. uh, My number one would be Jose Mourinho right now. He grew into me more and more. I think, one, his style of play, of playing in transition, might just... It might just work for us. I think it might just work. The second thing is you talked about popularity of soccer in this country. I think he is one of the 
best ones to do that. The guy is box office. He will say whatever he thinks. He will drive the media crazy. Plus, he actually has fans all over the world. So I don't think fans from other countries are going to care about the U.S. in like a gold cup or so. But like in the World Cup and things like that, they're going to be following Mourinho. Um, and he'll probably say some crazy stuff along the way and people will talk about it. But I do think that aside, because we can't hire someone just because of marketing, even though that would be no. a good marketing move. I do think the way he sets up his team, it is pure soccer terrorism. He's been like that for years. And even his Chelsea team way back when they yeah. started winning the Premier League, it wasn't that pleasant to watch. I no. agree with that. And that would suck. But I do think he can get this team to grind out results. I do think he would be respected by every single player. No parent yeah. would mess with him. The media no. would have to respect him. And I think he would do a great job as that. The only question mark is he never coached a national team. But I think Mourinho has the experience and the competence to, to get results for us. And he's a results guy. He's results driven. He does get results. And he still is with Roma, for example. I also think that he's actually made progress at Roma. You know, there's a lot of stigma around Mourinho that he's too defensive or that he doesn't play young players. Both of those things have changed at Roma. He's mm -hmm. given a lot of young players an opportunity. He's also been a lot more attacking. Um, and the other thing is he's been very good in knockout competitions, like two Champions Leagues, right? One with Inter Milan, one with Porto, the World Conference Cup. League with Roma. Conference, yeah, I mean, Conference League, I suppose. It is a knockout I mean, it still is. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, FA Cup with Manchester United, right? Mm -hmm. Knockout competitions. Europa um, League so, with Man United, right? Yeah, sorry. It was him. He won the Europa League with Man United too. Yeah, and Europa League with Man United. Yeah. Like with knockout competitions, he tends to do quite well. And if he could take the U.S. to a semifinal, it would be huge for this country, for the game, for the sport, for, you know, everybody involved with the game in this country and even from an international perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Mourinho coaching the United States at home at a World Cup would get everybody's attention. And I think that would be great for the game. It could also go up in flames. He can be very abrasive with his player relationships. And that is something to be aware of, but I would like Jose Mourinho as well. I think it could work. I really do. Yep. Tack, we're going on 57 minutes now on the podcast, so we're going to cut it off here. But guys, thanks as always for everybody who rates and reviews the podcast. It does help us a lot. Wherever you listen to this, if you can give us at least a rating, if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, give us a review. We always appreciate it and it helps the podcast to grow. Any last thoughts, Tack? Nope. No more thoughts. And thank you very much for listening, everyone. And if you guys can, keep sharing the podcast. We're getting more and more listeners every day. Thank you very much.